Baby, I'm a want you. Well, you've changed me, Agnes. Maybe there is room in my store for romance comics. Nobody will buy those. Your store smells. Now kiss me, funny face. But I just can't... All right. Oh, oh, dear God. Cover your eyes, boys. It's okay, man. It doesn't affect you. You're not human. Uh, comic book guy, you're under arrest for the possession of illegal videos. But we'll reduce the sentence if you put your pants on. Fast. God. Come on, Romeo. <laughs> they can't lock me up for long, Agnes. Will you wait for me? Are you crazy? My bones are half dust. Four finger discount, dude. Welcome to Four Figure Discount. This week we are here to review episode CABF08. It is the worst episode ever. I am Dando. I am Guy, and congratulations are in order because it's not just Four Finger Discount, it's Four Family Discount because there are now four members of Clan Dando, if I'm correct. Yes, yes. We finally, we mentioned last week that it might be the last podcast we do before I have a, a second child, and that came true the very next day. Nicola went into labor. Seven hours later, we had a little baby, Holly Elizabeth Dando, weighing nine pounds. Uh, She was born at 5.25 a.m. on Wednesday morning. Both Nick and Holly both came home on Friday morning. She's gone really well. She's putting on weight. She's feeding well. Elliot loves his little sister. All is well with the world. Yay! Congratulations to everyone in house, Dando. I'm hoping you have a little flag that says Holly on it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, so certainly uh, when, I, when I found out we were reviewing an episode called Worst Episode Ever, I was like, oh, that's not something I want to review when I just had a baby. But no, it turns out that this was certainly not the worst episode ever. Uh, you hinted last week that you thought it was okay. I really enjoyed it. Partic- I think it's a, an episode that particularly geeks would really enjoy. Um, I'm actually surprised that this wasn't a story that had been done up to this point. I feel like if this was done in the golden era, they might have had maybe Homer uh, take over the store. It seems to be like Homer was the go-to guy to go do things like that. But and it's a little bit far-fetched to, to have two 10-year-olds running a, running a store. But that aside, I still really enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. Both stories served a purpose and intertwined quite well. I think so as well. Look, I mean, I think I may have enjoyed Comic Book Guy's story even more than the whole um, Bart Milhouse adventure in the comic book shop. Well, I think that was supposed to be the main story and the side story was the comic book shop. But even though they seemed to sort of get an even split, didn't they? they it did seem very even split. But you're right. I mean... It, it probably was designed that there was a bit more attention on um, on comic book guy's relationship with Agnes. Agnes? Agnes Skinner, yes. Your favourite. <laughs> <My> fa- <laughs> For some reason, I was about to say Gladys. And I was like, no, that's not right. It's, it's, Aunt, but it's Aunt Gladys is, uh, is Marge's aunt who passes away, and that's who gives Selma Jub-Jub the iguana. Ah, uh, there we go. See, look, there's just that whole world of Springfield is just sort of floating around in my head. And uh, but yes, definitely Agnes, and yeah, always glad to see more Agnes. Because and it's, it's it's funny. She's it's just despi- so bitter. Yeah, and, but just despite the age difference, they actually are a perfect couple, aren't they? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it's something I wrote down because you know mutual disdain for things, whether it's just. <laughs> or just the world around you can be a solid foundation for a relationship, or at the very least, a good component of a relationship. Have you, I mean, have you ever found with Nicola that you just enjoy sort of taking the piss out of people or 
It's the sole. It's the sole reason our go to like guilty pleasure show is Judge Judy, <laughs> because we just love. <laughs> we love to. What we do is they, they they walk in, they go. Today's case is you know this person suing this person for whatever, and we love just looking at the person and judging them immediately and basing our decision on purely their appearance. <laughs> oh God, yeah. Well, look, I've told, I have spoken volumes in the past about. Uh, the lovely Louise and myself are bonding over 90 Day Fiance. Mm. <laughs> and um, yeah, look, the bulk of our time spent watching that show was basically saying, oh my God, that guy's such a pervert. Oh, she's such a loser. <laughs> so yeah, as I said, hating, hating is, can, be, can be great fun, can be the glue that, uh, that binds a couple together. Well, it's one of the things we discuss quite often on our other podcast, Talking Seinfeld. If you're a Seinfeld fan, by the way, go check it out. Available for free, Talking Seinfeld on all good podcast apps. But that's one of the things that I love or we both love about the show is that the characters on that are such bad people that they say the things that we think and they they bond over, particularly Elaine and Jerry, they bond over oh, just yeah. paying, the, paying out other people. <laughs> Absolutely. So you're right. It did make um, it did make comic book guy and Agnes a a sterling couple. Yes, despite the despite the age difference and I don't know, sickening uh, <laughs> or the way it sickened uh, even hardened police officers. I think but it's we'll one get, of those things we'll where people. That. I think it's one of those things where people, if they you know gave up on the Simpsons by season ten, like Mitch, for example, he didn't really watch the show after season ten. He would see or read the storyline, like see a picture of. Uh, comic book guy and Agnes in bed and think, oh, fuck, thank God I'm not watching that show anymore. That's ridiculous. But mm. if you actually watch it, I think they wrote it really well. And like we said, they go well together. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's not it's not as absurd as what it seems in theory. Yeah. The fact that they're both just so dismissive of sunsets, the most beautiful thing yeah. on God's green I thought you would have earth. loved that moment. <laughs> <laughs> I also just thought comic book guy, we mentioned earlier that the... the, the uh, the stories are sort of split evenly and how much airtime they get. I think that really worked in the episode's favour because I've read a few reviews where the people were complaining that the comic book guy story didn't get enough time and they dedicated too much to the Barton Milhouse sub-story. But I think because they did it that way, comic book guy didn't overstay his welcome because you said at the start you had this fear of once they get a sub-character... They seem to overdo it, and you're like, oh, I didn't really need to know that much about them. I don't want to see that much of them. I just want them to have a couple of witty remarks. But because yeah. it was such an even split, it didn't at any point to me really feel that way this episode. Yeah, look, I mean, I really should have um, set the stopwatch and you know determined how much uh, time, how much screen time each storyline got. But no, it did feel fairly even. And yeah, like I said, I was concerned that uh, you know when you bring a supporting character into a, you know, a main or mainish kind of role, uh, yeah, it can backfire. I mean, I don't know. I, I guess you'd call Ned Flanders a supporting character, but he's got his fair share of stories that have revolved around him and his uh, his family or his lifestyle, and, and often they tend to work. But uh, I think there's, like, I think, just before you continue, I think there's sort of a, a segment of sub-characters that are almost considered part of the main cast. I would throw Krusty in there, and I'd throw Moe in there. The ones actually, that appear... Yeah. Almost like every episode, they're not the main family, but they're not also they're sub characters, but they're still considered sort of they're just out of that main cast. If that that's makes a sense. Re- that's a really good point, Dana. That's very uh, yeah, that's very very astute. I mean, yeah, I suppose there's a big difference between having um, an episode that revolves around Mo or or Ned, as you said, and maybe like an episode that was say Frink heavy or, or Groundskeeper Willie or something. Yeah, or Sea Captain. Yeah, too much Sea Captain. And yeah, I, I exactly. honestly thought Comic Book Guy might be one of those characters, but 
look, I can't say I'd I'd be rushing back to say, ooh, it's a it's a comic book guy episode. Ooh, can't wait for that one. It was actually quite clever though, I think, having the sub story based around the comic book shop because it's still it wasn't even though comic book guy wasn't at the store, it still sort of felt like he was still a part of the story. Like like him being away from yeah. the comic book store for an entire episode would have felt just too like fish out of water. But because they still kept going back to the comic book star, store for the Barton Millhouse story, it still sort of it felt natural. It did. It absolutely did. Um, did you know Hank Azaria won the Emmy for Outstanding Voiceover Performance for his portrayal of Comic Book Guy in this episode? Really? Yeah, yeah. Hmm. I wasn't aware of that until I did some some Wikipedia research, or wiki research. But uh, Hank's had gone on to say that uh, he found it very hard to make the voice of Comic Book Guy sound sincere. Because he's always so antagonistic it's always and sarcastic, uh, sarcastic, yeah. you know. Well, that in that case, yeah, a very, a very, uh, yeah, definitely an acting challenge and one that he pulled off quite well. It does, he actually does balance the snarkiness and the sincerity quite well. You almost feel sorry for the guy when he's rolling along the on the ground after being thrown out of Moe's. <laughs> <laughs> almost, but um, no, I think I'm with uh, with Lenny and Carl there. What you bad mouth and beer? <laughs> Actually, we'll get to that in a moment. I've got something else to say. But before then, Mike Scully, he's the showrunner, obviously. He's also said that when it comes to the side characters and fleshing out their story, he said his quote was, you almost have to cheat the character a little bit to in order to be able to open them up emotionally. So, like, they have to sort of not be themselves. But still, mm. I think they they made comic book guy still feel like true, it was true to his character. I don't know. I, I just didn't feel like... It didn't feel like I was watching a character not being himself. Yeah, it wasn't like, oh, all of a sudden he changed his personality and sort of and, and you know, <laughs> found love and companionship. No, he, he, he found love and companionship with the person who was just like him. So, yeah, uh, yeah it, and um, no, it made sense. It absolutely made sense. The one negative that I had with this episode, and it's not even that much of a negative because it still worked out to an extent, but... The ending just felt a little rushed, you know, so he gets arrested when they're in, in the bedroom and Agnes just gives up on him right away. I was just like, okay. And then the comic book store is, what is it, closed down now? I mean, if you're watching this not knowing what comes afterwards, there's no real follow-up to him being arrested. It's just, I right, Bart Milhouse like, yeah, well, we're going to go back to school now and and uh, the comic book store is like, it's now a police scene. Like, there's no real follow-up to it. I don't know. I, I feel like they left it a bit open-ended. It just felt like it was... You know, the, the story was going somewhere, he gets arrested, and there's like 30 seconds left, and they're like, oh, well, well, that's the end of the episode. Yeah, it, I think in a in a different, uh, a different set of circumstances or a different show or whatever, you're probably going, uh, hmm, yeah, what what's going to happen now? You know, that's, that's kind of leaving a few things dangling, but I think because it's The Simpsons, and I don't want to sort of say, oh, it's The Simpsons, we can make excuses for it or anything like that. I think you know that life is going to go on, and I didn't. I didn't feel cheated or disappointed nah. by this ending. And I thought, I thought, and I thought the radioactive ape was actually a pretty nice capper on things. It was a good funny ending, wasn't it? If you it just want me to turn, just point. <laughs> <laughs> this is one way. <laughs> <laughs> just keep slapping him. Hey, my favorite. So I mentioned before, I want to get into something. So my favorite moment, one of them for me was. <laughs> So, comic book guy saying, if I wanted to listen to mindless droning, I'd befriend an air conditioner. Oh, now he's ragging on air conditioners? <laughs> they keep us cool in the summer. Yeah. <laughs> oh, got such a kick out of that. <laughs> um, also, a couple other things. So, Millhouse wanting to spend his money on using fabric softener and Bart's, I'm picking the next thing. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and then Homer's finally for me. Hello, I'm Shaquille O'Neal. That was very, very good. I did enjoy that a lot. <laughs> whenever, whenever Homer's going to introduce himself and begins it with "Hello," you know it's oh, going to be great. Yeah. Homer's haughty voice is yeah one is one of the great things in life. <laughs> Hello, <laughs> my name's Shaquille O'Neal. Anyway, what was your favorite moment? Um, I like the whole bit with uh, with makeup, but well, the special effects and makeup guru Tom Savini. Yeah, I mean, oh, yeah, I, I knew you would. Yeah, I'm always happy when Tom Savini shows up. Either well, either his handiwork uh, with blood and guts, or just him, because he's a bit of a fascinating cat. I reckon listeners of this podcast will have uh, twigged that I dig horror movies, and I've watched my fair share of documentaries about them or behind the scenes making of things. And Savini pops up in a lot of them because, you know, he's provided the gore for a lot of pivotal horror movies like Friday the 13th, Dawn of the Dead, the stuff they mentioned in the show. It, it was important that they mentioned that because I guarantee a lot of listeners, uh, listeners our viewers would have had no idea who he was purely by Oh, name. yeah. I think the average punter on the street is going to go, what, who, what now? Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, among, among horror nuts, yeah, Savini is kind of the man. And he's, you know, he's got a real sort of interesting... Yeah, life and backstory as well. I mean, he served in Vietnam, served in the Vietnam War, and that's actually how he got wow. sort of in, inspired, or it's what inspired a lot of his um, a lot of his gore effects. I mean, because he actually saw, you know, people blown apart close up, and he was already sort of a. Um, he was already I never a really, never really thought about it like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was already a fan and uh, sort of, you know, enthusiastic enthusiastic amateur when it came to monster makeup before that, but I think he actually. You know, spending some time in the shit uh, gave him a um, a bit more insight and maybe sort of sparked his imagination a bit further. And also, you know, I think he, he well, he's got a bit of a sideline gig as an actor as well. I think he's popped up in a fair few um, movies that he's done effects for. He's in Dawn of the Dead. He's in a, a really grimy slasher movie called Maniac. You know, the effects in that are still getting the job done four decades later. It's a really nasty movie, but it's got some fantastic gore in it. Here's a question. Did he do Thing from the Addams Family? That's a good question. I'm not sure if he did, actually. But, you know, there's that whole thing with Thing in this episode. of the. Yeah, that's why I thought maybe that was a reference to that. I I was wondering if that was the case. We should maybe actually look it up. But I don't think he did. Okay. um, Yeah, but I mean, he's he's acted in movies as well. Yeah, like from Dust Till Dawn and all that kind of stuff. And... uh, I think he's, you know, in his 70s now, but occasionally you'll sort of see pictures of him online. Tom's kept himself in shape. I mean, I think he might have a fairly high opinion of his of himself because he'll, you know, there'll be the odd sort of, not not flexing pick, but it's like, hmm, Tom's still working out. I think Tom's still got it. So um, I'm looking up yeah. Tom Savini 2020. Yeah, first picture is him flexing. <laughs> oh, there's, a, there's, a picture, there's a picture here of him holding a birthday cake that says 73 on it and he's jacked to the gills and he's got no shirt on. So, <laughs> Okay, yeah. <laughs> so, like I said, Tom Zavini, interesting individual. So, no, but I was very glad to see him show up and... Uh, oh, wow. F- fun fact for wrestling fans, I didn't realise he did Bray Wyatt's Creepy Mask, who was a WWE wrestler for wrestling fans oh, out there. okay. Yeah. There we go. So, yeah, that was that was my, uh, my favourite part of the episode. Yeah. So that was like your fanboy moment. It was indeed. Mm. Did you, do you think that they so you obviously you enjoyed it so you do agree but do you think they did Tom Savini justice with what with his portrayal in the show with what, what they had him say and everything yeah I reckon so he came across like a fairly sort of cool cat on the show and uh, I don't and know, the fact to, that he got to hang shit on comic book guy which is something that no one else on the show gets to do very often I think I think that cooler. as well I think that as well absolutely yeah next question you there eating the paste 
All right, Mr. Davis, before we get into our trivia for this week, we need to remind our listeners that this week's podcast is brought to you by our $20 patrons. Kicking off this week with our man, Jonathan Rossi, who actually signed up to be a $20 patron a few weeks ago, but somehow I missed it. I'm so sorry, sir. Jonathan actually sent me a really lovely letter in the mail that came this week, offering condolences for the loss of our beloved pet, Jack, from a couple of weeks ago. So thank you so much, Jonathan. So Jonathan Rossi, you kick off this week's $20 patrons. Also, we have got Jordan Moleman Ritchie, Nick Barbaro, Andrew Zer, Christopher Darby, Chris Malion, Will Manthorpe, Ben Smith, Noah Daniel, Matt Thompson, Mark Boston Burgess, Alex Rodriguez, Tom Pickering, Kane Von Nagy, Josh Hedge, Sean Davey, Keith Nedham, Sam Bennett, Timothy Belson, Brandon Twitchell, Nick James Bitch, Cal McDonald, Shannon Hofer, Nicole Catalina Winemixer, and George McMenemy. Thank you so much, guys. Don't forget, if you are a $20 patient for three months or more, you will get, after the third month, a officially licensed Stonecutter ring. Also, you will get access to Zoom calls with Guy and myself each and every week prior to recording. The show. So each week you get a Zoom call with ourselves where all the $20 patrons jump on and have a good old time. And once a month for $8 plus patrons, we do $8 plus uh, Zoom calls for all the $8 patrons. So once every week we get $20 patrons on for Zoom and once a month the $8 patrons. So thank you so much, guys, for your support. Now, Mr. Davis, I've got my three. Have you got your three? I've got more than three, but I can choose three out of the ones I've got. Do you want to begin? What is the name of the woman on the poison hotline? It's Fran, a poison Fran. control. <laughs> that is right. I wish they had have done a Fran Drescher impersonation for that. I don't think I could do. A, I don't think I could do a nanny name, uh, nanny name Fran impression. Oh, Mister Sheffield. No, <laughs> that just sounds terrible. <laughs> I'm not even going to attempt it. <laughs> what's your What's your first question? Um, name two people banned for life from the comic book shop. Ooh, um, it's funny. So we've got Sideshow Bob Mac Groening and Nelson, I believe. I know it's definitely Nelson because. I noticed mm. once Bart Milhouse take over, Nelson's in the store. Oh, good point. How did that happen? Because I mean, they tried to take one down and it just rang all alarm bells. Yeah, maybe they, um, maybe he bullied them into letting him in. I don't know. Quite possibly. All right, next question from you for me. What is the name of the comic book store in Shelbyville? Ah, uh, we're both going to ask this one. It's Frodo's. Okay. Yes, Frodo's of Shelbyville. Correct. <laughs> I'll ask this last one then. Okay, cool. How tall must you be to get into the adult section? 40 inches or above? 40 inches and above, yes. Or, or just get on your tippy toes if you're Ralph. <laughs> okay. Now, I think it was Kern who asked this question, but um, what is the name of Biclops's girlfriend, according to this person? Uh, nah, can't remember. Is it Lois Lame? Lois Lame, that's right. <laughs> Lois Lame. <laughs> the funny thing about this is, right, so we should discuss the Barton Millhouse subplot before we get into the review, because... The whole sort of basis of them fighting is that Bart doesn't treat him with respect, gets him to do all the work, and doesn't uh, value his opinion. But the thing is, he put me a house in charge for a day and he fucked everything up. Look, that is true. I mean, I, I wrote down here, and here's an actual quote, Bart is being a penis. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but, but he has but, the right to be. But you're absolutely right. I mean, yes, he yeah, steps aside for one day and he, what does he buy, like a thousand copies of... Uh, of the Biclops comic. <laughs> well, I've forgotten that guy's name who was actually selling the um, selling the comic, but he reminded me of those guys, and I say this was, God, I hope none of them are listening, those guys who would come into pop culture and they'd be selling various items and they'd be, you know, sort of doing, not the hard sell, but they'd be, you know, yeah. being all like, oh, we you all should know stock you, these things. <laughs> we, we all know you like this guy. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know. 
<laughs> We're sitting there just like trying to like not laugh under our breath. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, so oh, that's man. what they reminded me of. But uh, look, I think Bart was, yeah, sort of... Justified of being angry at this point anyway. I think he was justified, but I think Millhouse was equally justified in, you know, being angry at uh, being such, shown such disrespect and being treated so shabbily by Bart. I, I, I normally, you know, don't mind Bart's shenanigans, but I was like, yeah. This is really not cool, man. But this is like, it reminded me of when, you know, teenagers, like 13, 14 year olds are like, mom, dad, I'm old enough to go to the movies by myself now. Jesus Christ, like stop treating me like a baby. Mm. And then they finally let them do that and they get there and they somehow catch the wrong bus, end up in the wrong town, you know, <laughs> lose their wallet, fucking everything, you know. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, speaking from experience, of course. Of course, naturally. Yeah. Alrighty, well, let's get into our review. Of worst episode ever. The original air date for worst episode ever was February 4th in the year 2001. The chalkboard oh. gag, I will not hide the teacher's medication. And the couch gag is the, uh, there's no couch there, there's a valet. Homer pays him and he delivers the couch. Uh, it looks yeah, like. No tip. Oh, just, yeah, no, no tip, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the episode kicks off with the family all impressed with Marge's pancakes. Um, Lisa says she's going to go get some. I believe it's Mrs. Butterworth or something along those lines, the syrup out of the fridge. Well, it's normally Mrs. Butterworth who's um, who you know provides the syrup, but uh, this is Ms. Butterworth, a very Ms. Butterworth, a, a feminist slant on a on a on a breakfast favorite. Because didn't you say she, something like, "Let's have a breakfast meeting" or something along those lines? Yeah, yeah. Uh, she um, this is where she finds the old baking soda, and Bart bets Homer that oh, I think it's five bets in five bucks. So five dollars seems to come up a lot in this episode, doesn't it? Because the episode was actually originally going to be called the Fiver. Then they ah. changed it to worst episode ever. They felt it was more fitting for a comic book guy. But you know, you got Bart betting him. I think, or was it ten dollars here? For some reason, in my mind it was five dollars. But uh, you know, they charged five dollars entry into the um, into oh, the midnight correct, screening yes. and things like that. So it's all it's all five bucks, you know. So uh, Bart bets Homer, Homer makes it fifty. Lisa, you know, planning ahead, calls the poison hotline, gets Fran ready. Homer's description here. So many absor- absorbed odors of a million meals. <laughs> In all honesty, I would I would happily take Homer's antacid trip, as they call it, to to have that acid flashback of flavors. If that's the result, you would one hundred percent try it at least once in your life. If you can go oh, have God, flashbacks yeah. to the feeling of eating all your favorite meals from the past, holy shit! Can you imagine? Oh yeah, all your favorite sandwiches. You know that. Oh my God! Oh, I remember I had that fantastic BLT. Oh, I can't remember the exact flavor, but I remember I enjoyed it so much. And this, you know, takes you right back to it. Oh God, yeah, I I would do it. Yeah, this, but this might sound silly, but you know, family members who have passed away, like for example, oh Nan's veggie soup, things that you know you're never going to be able to ever eat again because people can try and imitate their meals, but like you can never get the, the taste exactly the same as when that person particularly made it. You know, this so is you can very, go back very and, true. You know, just say you just say unfortunately you, your mum had passed away. You know, mum's roast beef or something that she used to cook that was really good. If you can go back and enjoy that one last time, how amazing would that be? Oh, yeah, look, for my birthday, my mum always makes me these little egg and bacon quiches mm. that uh, Good. I used to just... Good stuff. Ad- I love that. I love quiches. I used to adore them growing up. And I was always like, what's in it, mum? So I could make them one day. And I actually did make them one day and they weren't bad. They were pretty good. They were like 90% of the way there, but they weren't They weren't mums, mums egg and bacon. Yeah. And um, yeah, so yes, among the many things... Well... <laughs> A, I'll miss my mum when she, uh, you know, goes on to a better place. And secondly, I'll miss mum's egg and bacon. When my, uh, <laughs> when my uh, 
Nan passed away in May. See, for my Nan, her specialty was veggie soup. You know, the family, they loved Nan's veggie soup. And we used to love as kids helping her grate up all the veggies and making it with her. And she had the special ingredient and whatnot. Special ingredient, I'll reveal it here. It was Vegemite. She used to put Vegemite in it. Made it taste Ooh. incredible, right? So my Nan Marlene down has veggie soup, Vegemite. Try it out sometime. But <laughs> she um, passed away in May, like I said. And I was always going to, because we knew, we knew her time was coming up. She, you know, she was going through a fourth round of cancer. And I was going to get her to write down the recipe for a veggie soup and you know have, have her write it all out and what she does and whatnot. And she passed away and I was like, oh, I never got the chance to do that. So what I've started doing since then is it lit a fire under my ass and I started the Dando family cookbook. Ah. So every member of the family has their own page in this cookbook and they hand write in it and they write down the ingredients and the recipe for their specialty. So that in generations to come, we will have the Dando family Specialty recipe cookbook. I think that's a wonderful idea, Dano. Having said that, and I say this with all due respect to your lovely Nan, I would love it if you, know, you visited her before before she passed on and said, Nan, what's the secret recipe? Never! I'll never tell you! I'm taking it with me! <laughs> Puff of smoke. <laughs> no, she, um, she, yeah, she talks. We used to help her make it. But yeah, Vegemite was her, was her, her secret ingredient. And We've tried to make it since, and it's never quite the same because I forget exactly what she used to put the veggies in in a particular order as well. Okay. So there's uh. always I don't know what it was, but yeah, I, I recommend it people out there. If you've got you know if everyone in your family has like their own specialty meal, start a family cookbook, get them to hand write it because you know in twenty thirty years from now when those people have un, most likely if they're a bit older unfortunately passed, you can look back and it's it's a a recipe book that they hand wrote themselves. It's really good memory. So yeah, I recommend it. It's good for the heart and the stomach. That is correct. But anyway, getting back to uh, to the episode. So Homer is hallucinating on all the old meals and it looks incredible. He's having his antacid trip. But then uh, takes $50 and he's taking Millhouse on a spending spree. Well, actually, let's let, let's be correct about this, Dando. It, D- Millhouse is not supposed to go on sprees. They go on a jag. That, that is correct. Yes. Thank you for correcting <laughs> me. <laughs> uh, Apu realizes they got $50, so he locks up the Quickie Mart. And I've really enjoyed them walking around and him sort of showing off all the different things. Our wide variety of gum comes in both stick and bowl. I'm not really about gum, but I like the whole chewing thing. Are you averse to crispy center, sir? Not at all. Then we have much to discuss. Did the Quickie Mart get bigger? It seemed like it turned into a supermarket. Uh, probably. I wasn't paying all that much attention, but you, just, you're right. Yeah, the, uh, the, the candy section did seem quite large, didn't it? It did. And I... Look, I didn't see all the candies, but I did see a little sign that said candy burrito, and I swear to God, I got a stiffy. (laughs) (laughs) I've heard the word stiffy in a long time. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Candy burrito does sound delicious. What do you think? What candies would be best for that? Maybe melt some. It's got to have a... I love twirls. Twirls my favorite chocolate. Um, Mm. Melt some twirl in there, some M&Ms. I've never liked bounties. Are you a bounty man? It's not my go-to, but I wouldn't say no to a bounty. I mean, okay. um, say you got your favourites box and it's got bounty, and I'm like, oh yeah, bounty, nice. But yeah, um, I'm always bounty in Turkish delight, just not for me. I can't remember. I can't remember the last time I bought a full-size bounty, or even if they make full-size bounty anymore. Uh, I think they're only in the favourites box now. I could be wrong. Oh, maybe I'm wrong. I, for some reason, I can sort of visualise them on the um, on the supermarket shelf. But that's one thing I noticed when I went to America was their assortment of candies is vastly bigger than what we have here. Oh yeah, it's one thing I like about going to like um, you know, the, <laughs> back in the before the American times. specialty stores. 
Well, Amer- um, yeah, American specialty stores, or yeah, like USA Foods in Melbourne, or even some candy shops in Melbourne that would just have not not run of the mill Australian candies, but yeah, you know, a bit of Hershey's and a bit of other stuff. It's like, oh wow, oh, yeah. a whole world of flavors. Am I supposed to eat this? Am I allowed? Oh yeah. <laughs> well, my buddy Steve, who I've mentioned in the past on the on the on this podcast, um, he's a big fan of Halloween, and he's also a big mm. stuff, a big fan of buying stuff on the internet. <laughs> One thing he got was like. Um, <laughs> like this Japanese snack box and he got one especially for Halloween. And I think he got like, um, he got one that had an apple pie flavored Kit Kat. Oh, wow. Cause they go wild for Kit Kat in Japan. They fucking love it. They really um, do. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And I've, and they've got like multiple, uh, multiple flavors. I mean, go to the, go to any Coles or Woolworths in, in Geelong or, or around Australia and you'll find, yeah, Kit Kat sort of branching out a bit. It used to be the one thing, but now they've got various flavors. But no, we haven't, we haven't got shit on the Japanese. They go wild. <laughs> and um, and I must admit, Steve did not allow me to have a bite of the uh, apple pie Kit Kat. I think he saved well, that for himself. And you still refer to him as friend. <laughs> Less so now. Um, <laughs> no, no, I'll, I'll probably go over a couple of days before Halloween and we'll we'll crack it open then. Um, yeah. But it, it got me thinking, it's like, oh, I might actually get online and... Because someone else, uh, like an, another online friend, mentioned something about, oh, I got a an Asian snack box or something, you know, one of those loot crate kind of things where they deliver stuff to you, and you know, it's a bit of a lucky dip kind of thing. And I thought that could be interesting, so yeah, I might get into that a bit later and see what uh, what flavors I can uh, I, what flavors I can get. I'm just one of those people though who I struggle these days to fork out money for mystery boxes. If I don't know what I'm putting my money towards, I just can't do it anymore. <laughs> It's a good point. I, I I do understand where you're coming from. Look, I don't think... Oh, I probably have going to do a bit more research because I don't know if it's something that I want to subscribe to. I mean, I don't want to sort of, you know, plonk down a, an amount of money and say, you're going to get one of these every month for, for the next year. I'm like, yeah, but what if the first one sucks? I just wanted an apple pie Kit Kat, for God's That's sake. That's all I want. Yeah, so <laughs> I, the internet's got everything on it. I could probably just, you know, type that in and say, yeah, we'll deliver one to your house. Hey, thanks, man. So let's see what happens. <laughs> But anyway, back to the back to the Quickie Mart, which is um, yeah, it's full of candies, including Candy Burrito, which I think would be a terrific stripper name, by the way, Candy Burrito. Candy Burrito, it would indeed. <laughs> there's, there's several people that come on Judge Judy, or quite regularly called Candy. Uh, usually the defendant. Um, but of the, course. But the uh, Barton Millhouse are out in the street. They've eaten too much raw bacon. And uh, I used to be, I don't eat pork anymore, but I used to do that all the time. If I'm making like a fried rice or a carbonara or something, if I'm chopping up the bacon, I'd be like, you know, one for the pan, three for me. Try dicing it up. Like, I just loved eating raw bacon. For real? I don't think <laughs> yeah. I've ever done that. Oh, sorry. So when I say raw bacon, it's not actually raw bacon. It's just bacon out of the packet that hasn't been cooked. So it's not like raw oh, meat. Okay. It's smoked. I was about to say, because I've, I mean, I've eaten raw steak. Really? I- yeah, I couldn't do that. Like blue steak. Yeah, yeah. Like when I was a. If I'd, uh, you know, I was doing like a stir fry or something, and I, I, you know, I decided to treat myself and got like a really good steak to put in it, then you know, I've chopped it, chopped it up. Like, okay, well, you know, ninety percent of this is going in the uh, in the wok, and uh, this other bit I'll have. Like, it's you know, it's um, it's like steak tartare or just a very rare steak. And yeah, yeah I've got- if it's a good steak, sometimes it's actually pretty good. <laughs> okay, yeah, I've got to be well. I'm a well done man. But uh, Millhouse suggested he wants to spend. Some of their money on fabric softener, but is not impressed. So they get down to their last $10 and they notice at the comic book shop that the Radioactive Man issue number 1000 is released. So they race in there, comic book guy, I laugh at you. 
Ten dollars for a comic book, ten dollars US seems like a lot to me. Twenty five dollars seems like it certainly does. Even even the two thousand prices or two thousand one yeah, prices that does exactly. seem like a lot. I did like how um, what, did he just pour a glass of water on Radioactive Man that bounced off? No, no, it, it, it bounced off soda and went onto Bongo Comics, onto, which were the, the Bongo, company yes. that yeah, which made the Simpsons comics, which I miss. I mean, I didn't buy them all the time, but. Honestly, whenever I read a Simpsons comic, I always enjoyed it. I, I don't think I ever was disappointed with a Simpsons comic. Hmm. By the way, that was going to be one of my questions. What was the lesser comic that uh, yeah, soaked up the, um, the okay. water that uh, bounced off Radioactive Man? Bongo. Bongo, <laughs> yes. Um, so the price is $25. So Barton Millhouse here, we had to buy lunch for that homeless guy. Right, so <laughs> that's funny, but I like the fact that they actually spent some of their money on a homeless person. It is help nice. them helped the guy out, yeah. Absolutely. Martin's mum then walks in with some incredible memorabilia, doesn't she? <laughs> awesome. What was it? Anti-boob jiggle tape or something along yeah. those lines. <laughs> Chewbacca is, is Luke's father. <laughs> Handwritten script by George Lucas. And his reaction is just incredible. It's how every Star Wars fan would react to this. Tries oh. to rip her off. Oh, here we go. He, he, he says he'll give her $5 for it. There's another $5 reference as well. Ah. And Barton Milhouse, you know, he said, don't do it, lady. He's trying to rip you off. I, I, I did like that. Well, if it's worth a lot of money, it's back to the leaky basement. But I love the way he handles it, comic book guy. He doesn't yell at him. He just goes, smile, please. <laughs> puts, their, <laughs> puts their photo on the wall and they're banned for life. And if you're a now, kid, this would be a big deal, wouldn't it? Absolutely. Oh, God, yeah. Imagine being barred from your favourite shop back when you were 10 yeah. years old. Oh, no. Be like, be like me nightmare. being banned from the video store. It, it, would, it ah! would literally be like the worst thing ever. <laughs> no. Don't even joke about such things. Bart is sad. He's at home because he's been banned from his favourite shop. And Homer gets the flashback of being banned from Gallagher. <laughs> Did you get the, the subtle joke here that I never saw a Gallagher again? Because he says to him, can I still watch your films? And then, <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> <laughs> um, Gallagher was very popular in the 80s though, right? To the best of my knowledge. But I mean, I don't think it really sort of broke out much beyond America. Okay. Growing up in the 80s, if you knew about Gallagher is because, you know, people either talked about him on The Simpsons or, you know, you read like American magazines or and sort of heard about this, uh, yeah, this comedian who didn't really have a shtick other than, you know, smashing watermelons with a sledgehammer. Does he actually do jokes? <laughs> or is that yeah, just. He does. Like, that, that was just the end of his routine. Like, I thought he just ended his routine with hitting the watermelon. That was like his crescendo. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because for the life of me, I don't think I've ever actually heard like a Gallagher routine. I just know that um, you're in the first few rows, you will get wet. Wear your poncho because, you know, you'll get some watermelon on you. Lisa mentions here that Tom Savini is going to appear at the comic book store. Bart's disappointed because he's not going to be able to get in there. But as we mentioned earlier, it was very smart of them to explain the films that he's worked on. So people, mm. like kids, even kids at home, um, would have somewhat of an idea of who he is. Because they do that quite often in The Simpsons. They have guest stars of people who the younger audience would probably have no idea who they are. So it's important that they enlighten them. Oh, uh, yeah. Bart, Bart can't believe he's going to miss this show. And this, uh, this, I enjoyed this. So Homer's like, don't worry, boy. I've got it all planned out. How? You only just found out. Hmm, you're right. Give me a minute. Because that's what happens so much in shows. Like People come up with ideas, elaborate plans, employees straight away. Mr. Simpson, it hurts. Why do we have to do this all the way from home? For once in my life, I'm tall. Don't take that away from me. Hello, I'm Shaquille O'Neal. Let us in, please. <laughs> you two are not welcome. Very sad. Thanks for the tip-off. No problem. 
a good little twist there that Homer, you know, set him up from the get go. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I didn't see that coming, and it was a it was a nice little button on that scene. It's almost like his backup plan, you know, because he's like, well, because if I help these guys out and I get caught, you won't let me in either. So I'm gonna mm. I'm gonna pretend like I'm helping them and then still get to go to my show. <laughs> Appearing exclusively here at the Android Dungeon, take that, Messrs. Barnes and Noble, the King of Splatter, Tom Savini. Good evening. <clears throat> Sorry, I, I had a really big dinner. Woo! Dinner! But I'm sure one more French fry wouldn't hurt. Oh, we missed the gut buster! Yeah, that should be us covered with blood. Sure, computer technology is here to stay. But there'll always be a place for the practical special effects wizard. I love the theater. Oh, please. I saw Paul Lind do that same hackneyed trick on Bewitched. Tried to explode this out of my belly. That's not a cookie. That's a time-release blood pack. You, sir, are a perfect patsy. Let me shake your hand. To the gag, I will give a D-plus. As for the workmanship on the hand, it... Ooh. 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 That's not right. (laughs) You mocking me. Oh, that is rich. Stop your laughing. You're all banned. I tell you. Uh, ooh. Ooh. Breath short. Left arm numb. Can't go on describing symptoms much longer. I think he's had a heart attack. I think my favorite part about that whole thing wasn't even Savini. It was the very start when Homer goes, Woo, dinner. <laughs> oh man so good but uh so basically this is where they're setting up comic book guy well he has he has the heart attack so setting up the the main story for comic book guy did did you feel sorry for him when he was having his heart attack or did you just find it funny um i felt a bit more sorry than i than i found it funny yeah it's one of those moments where it's like you're laughing at somebody when they're the butt of a joke and then it goes that little bit too far and you're like Oh shit! <laughs> I, th- I think they I think they set it up quite well by him being making him the butt of all Savini's kind of gags in the lead up to it. Look, comic guy deserved a bit of comeuppance. He can be a bit of a he can be a bit of a prick at the best of times, but you know to get you know to get wedged by thing and all that kind of business and basically be you know made into the butt of fun in your own store. I think the needle of sympathy sort of edges a bit more towards comic book guy in that state. And then, you know, to actually sort of have a heart attack, it's like, oh, oh poor dude. That, that's not great. Of course, they put a laugh line in it with the whole kind of, what's it? Oh, pulse fading and, you know, left arm numb. It's, it's a bit of a Shatner thing, isn't it? Where he, he sort of does that thing on Star Trek. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a classic, yeah, superhero <laughs> or death as well. But I think it was also important to have him be a dick to... Savini first because then Savini doesn't come across like a bad person for oh yeah playing jokes on him you know yeah we come back from commercial we're now at the hospital and we um it was it seemed so basic but it was also clever when Hibbert's like yeah the cardiac episode worst episode (laughs) Episode. ever I know that I didn't see that bit coming it's why it's and it made me appreciate the title even more 
Yes, definitely. Yeah, I, I, I actually got more of a kick or sort of a surprise out of Dr. Hibbert calling comic book guy a young man. Yes, yeah. I, I, I watched that scene. I was like, how young is this guy? Because yeah. he seems like he'd be like Homer's age at least, right? I would think so. Yeah, he, he sort of seems like someone in his... Have, have we determined how old Homer is? Homer's like 37 or something. 39. 39, let's, um, yeah. Let, let's, let's look up comic book guy on the wiki and see if it's got his age on the Simpsons wiki. Sometimes it has I, I would say he would... I think he would be 35, comic book guy. No, it doesn't, hasn't got an age listed here. Yeah. I'm not too so sure. So whether he's a young guy relative to Dr. Hibbert... Hibbert comes across like he's older than the Simpsons, but he went to college with them, didn't he? So he can't be that much older. I guess not. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, just calling him young man is kind of like, oh, wow, never really considered that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it's revealed here that Bart and Milhouse were the ones that saved him, so now they're even. My prognosis, or is it diagnosis, whichever, you need to avoid stress. What kind of work do you do? I run a comic book store. Oh, dear Lord. We call that profession the Widowmaker. Or we would if any of the proprietors were married. You should close down the store for a while. But I'd lose all my business to Frodo's of Shelbyville. Well, then get a friend to run it for you. You do have friends, don't you? Well, the super friends. Well, you should get some friends who aren't printed on paper. What, you mean action figures? We'll run the store for you. Two ten-year-olds running my store. I mean, wait, what is this, Bizarro World? Calm down. Don't make me put a dog heart in there. I think every town, you know, at least Geelong-sized town, needs somewhat of a comic book store, you know? That place where geeks can just go to and feel safe. (laughs) Absolutely. Now, Geelong doesn't really have that these days. It's got gift for the geeks and, of course, pop culture. Um, But, I mean, I remember, oh, back in the late 80s, because in Melbourne, there's a uh, uh, sort of a pop culture shop called Minotaur. I know the place, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I used to go there a fair bit for comics and, and other stuff. And they opened a Geelong branch in like oh, 1988. Shit, really? Yeah, and it was, you know, just chock-a-block with, uh, you know, comics and you know, sci-fi paperbacks and, you know, just all manner of sort of geeky stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, I was probably about, you know, 17 or 18 at the time. I was like, holy shit, I don't have to go to Melbourne for this anymore. And then, but then... Of course, the thing about uh, Minotaur is they tend to mark shit up by like 500%. Yeah, very expensive. <laughs> um, but at that stage, I didn't care. I was like, I don't care. It's, wor- it's worth it. <laughs> it's, wor- it's worth paying $30 for this issue of Fangoria. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, you're right. But um, every reasonable sized town, yes, should have some sort of you know, geeky place where the geeks yeah, can congregate. Definitely. We're now at the store, but Mihos are there. They find... Well, I think it's a shopping list, but no, it's just his instructions. I'm just listing different foods and drinks. Uh, they, they they plan to make this more focused for kids um, because, you know, they think kids are the heart, you know, the heart of the um, of the store. They're the ones that come in and spend all their money, so they're going to make it more focused towards children. It's, we've got Nelson there, as I mentioned earlier, but whatever, maybe just bullied his way in. Then Bart lets Ralph into the adult section right now. So Ralph says here, everybody's hugging, which I think is a fantastic line. But do you know what the original line was? Tell me. She's hungry. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> have, I, yeah. have, I, have I ever shared the story, my, my story about the, um, the pornographic comic book that I got when I was like seven years old? No, you talked about how you used to go to porn theatres by yourself. <laughs> Once. <laughs> Tell us about the, the, uh, the pornographic comic book that you got when you were seven. Okay, then. Uh, 
this is a uh, you know 1977 or so star wars had just come out and i was a huge fan of everything sci-fi related Every Sunday, I used to uh, go to Melbourne with my dad, and he uh, had formed a, a friendship with this guy who ran like a newsstand at Flinders Street Station, outside Flinders Street Station. Uh, you know, he'd get the newspapers from there every Sunday, and, you know, in return, he'd give the guy, you know, tickets or something like that. I was going to say, how often did your dad use, and I give him full credit for doing so, but use his name to, uh, to get free shit? Yeah, this wasn't so much him getting free shit. It was more like a reciprocal relationship. It oh, wasn't so much- like you know, your dad had access to things like that. So he'd say, you know, you give me this and I'll give you something that I can get. You know what I yes. mean? Yes, yeah. And yeah, and I'd go along and, you know, the guy who ran the place, would, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, grab yourself a comic book or a magazine or whatever. And I saw this one on the top shelf. <laughs> Never a good sign. I thought, oh, wow, that, that looks futuristic. Uh, can I have that one, please? And I'm guessing that the, um, the newsstand guy did not know exactly what it was about. But he took it down, he gave it to me, and I was like, cool. And um, <laughs> I'm having a look through it. I think it might have been French. That may, that may, have ex- that may explain a few things. But it, um, I, won't go too, I won't be too graphic about it, but let's just say she's hungry and everybody's hugging. That's what happened in this um, in this comic book, and you I just started had having no idea what was going on, right? Yeah, I had no idea, but I was I got the feeling it was like, yeah, I think this is probably above my pay grade. <laughs> so um, I, I put it in a bunch of other comics that I was going to take to the secondhand place and trade for other comics, but on the back page, uh, it had an ad for the Meatloaf album "Bad Out of Hell." And as I was taking it out the door, my sister Edwina saw it, said, and she was, I think she was a fan of ballet. Like, oh, what's this? Give me a look at it. And she, she saw that. And then she looked it up. Then she opened it up. And, you know, my sister Edwina was like eight years older than me. So, you know. Oh, a she's more, a teenager. So she understands more, what's going on. A bit more worldly. Said, what is this? I said, I don't know what it is. <laughs> That's why I want it out of the house. <laughs> this is this is not Chewy. This is not Luke Skywalker. <laughs> and I think I don't know if she I think she sort of showed it to Mum and Dad and you know, to their credit, they both knew that it's like, yeah, I don't think guys that interested in French sci-fi comic book porno. So, you know, let's just get it out of the house and we'll forget this whole thing ever happened. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that you were like scared. You're like, I don't know what this is. It must not be here anymore. <laughs> Honestly, well, I, can we get a little bit graphic? Because I, I just remember one frame specifically from the uh, from the comic. <laughs> this may be a bit of adult content, so you might want to cover your ears, kids. But um, there was some dude like chained to a wall. You know, in Flash Gordon, where Zarkov and Prince Baron yeah, are yeah. chained to the wall, and that, and you know, it's long live Flash and yep. that. Except this guy's naked and someone's giving him a hand job. <laughs> and, I, and I'm looking at it like, is that guy taking a leak? What's going on here? <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway, that's my, uh, that's my French porno comic book story. <laughs> what did your dad say? I honestly don't remember. <laughs> probably, probably just choose your comic books more wisely next time, son. 
I love that it's so like it was so traumatic for you that you specifically remember what the ad was on the back that your sister was, was interested in. I know. In. <laughs> yeah, it's what it really is one of those yeah sort of fundamental you know foundational memory. <laughs> so whenever you, whenever you hear that bad out of hell, do you just think of French porn now or pretty? It's it's certainly up there. Oh man, I wish we could try and find a copy of it. What was the magazine called? Can you remember? I, I can't called? remember. I'm, I might have to do a little research after this and sort of look up, you know. But um, do you know the magazine Heavy Metal? Yeah. Yeah, like, well, and that's a uh, the Americanized version of this French version, a French magazine called Metal, Metal Herlante. So it, I think it was along those lines. Okay. Um, I, but I don't think it was Metal Herlante. So. Um, yeah, I'm not sure, but yeah, I just remember it's like, oh, this is a bit racy. Yes, this, maybe a few years down the track, guy, but not right now. So Bart Milhouse should certainly not stock that in the comic book store. <laughs> look, I wouldn't. Comic book guy, you know, for all his sort of arrested development, look, I imagine that's how he sort of gets his kicks. I don't think he'd be watching actual, you know, actual pornography. I think he'd be watching pornography with a bit of a sort of artistic comic book bent to it. So we, oh, it's probably in the back room. Bart is making Milhouse do all the work. It's become evident here. I, I love the reference to Poochie here. Mark down that Poochie crap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what, did, what, the, what did it say on the side of this play? Was it let's get bizet or something? It's something like that, yeah. Homer, <laughs> Homer takes comic book guy to Moe's. What does he call it? Is it the friendliest place in the rum district or something? I think so, yeah. In the rum district sounds about right. Get out and take your sack of Jawea dollars with you. I'll give you till three. One. Hey, Homer, who's the manatee? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh, now be nice, Mo. This guy just got out of the hospital. Oh, sorry. Uh, Let me buy you a drink. Very well. I will have a shot of cranberry schnapps. (laughs) Uh, These, uh, they're just painted on there. Your choice is a beer and, uh, egg soakings. I'll pass. Beer is the nectar of the nitwit. Hey, you knocking beer? Nobody badmouths Duff. <laughs> ah, piece of crap. Come on, you're here to make friends. Oh, please. If I wanted to hear mindless droning, I'd befriend an air conditioner. Oh, now he's ragging on air conditioners. Hey, they keep us cool in the summer, pal. Get him! And stay out! Hey! <laughs> Is there a word in Klingon for loneliness? Oh, yes. Gardak. I love the um the sound of effect uh, the sound effect of him sliding on the ground. I know that was actually it, it was both funny and kind of wincing, wince, yeah. wince inducing because like oh ah yeah that would be kind of painful for the, for this big dude. Lisa is impressed with how Millhouse is running the store, and this is where the sales rep for Bicops walks in and arrives and sucks him right in. How good yeah. was the, the little, um, like, not hallucination, but sort of thought that Milhouse had of sort of like that very whole little film noir. noir thing? Yeah, that was great. Yeah. <laughs> Hachi machi. Gets sucked in to buy 2,000 copies of Biclops. I also enjoyed when he looked at uh, Lisa and I answered to no one. Wink. <laughs> <laughs> I did like that kind of little pull away that you. <laughs> It's always really good when the characters sort of uh, reference something that they've envisioned in their head. Oh yeah, they do that a bit. They've done that a bit, haven't they? And it's always yeah. enjoyable. Yeah. Did he had, did did he buy two thousand issues yeah, of two thousand copies? Or? Yeah. Oh, I thought it was just one thousand because that's no, what the so price it was, it was one thousand to um to. This is what I mean. So it was, was one thousand to get the, the the cheap discount. He buys two. <laughs> uh, 
God, Milhouse. Okay, yeah, I take I take better. I said Bart. Bart is probably on the money here. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Comic book guy attends the How to Make Friends class before he walks in. So they've made this joke recently. I think he was going to look up gay porn or something, wasn't he? I'm it was not like sure. um, as when he says the you know human contact, the final frontier. And I believe oh, it was. Right. Some, yeah, I think it was. Oh, Mister. Oh, X. Yeah. yes, do yes, I, yes, yes. Do yes. I dare cross the final frontier or something like that? Yeah. So they've made that joke a couple of times this season, but it mm. it works just as well here. I thought it was very funny. Human contact, the final frontier. <sighs> Out of the way, Tubby. Oh, pardon me, oldie Hawn. <laughs> Why, you ill-mannered sack of crap! Oh, goody. Now I know whatever happened to baby Jane. You are the rudest man who ever bought me dinner. Correction. I do not believe I have ever bought you... Oh. How good was the references here? Oldie Horn. <laughs> I thought those were some pretty solid burns from Comic Book Guy. He did, he did <laughs> they well. They really were. But, you know, Sparks immediately flies. She flirts with him and uh, the ball is rolling. The comic book store is now full of Biclops merchandise and it's not going too well. Kearney doesn't want it at all. You can't even hit people properly with it and Bart is furious. Even the birds won't use it in their nest. (laughs) (laughs) Now, they actually used a sound effect of a crow for that scene, but usually they would get Dan or someone else to do animal sounds, one of the the cast members. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, Milhouse is demanding respect from Bart. I mean, he, he he does deserve to get yelled at for this because he did fuck up big time. Um, and a fight breaks out. I thought it was a very cool transition to the like the comic book design, the graphic novel design. Oh, I did like that as well. Yeah, sort of bit before the break. Yeah, we come back from commercial, and something happens here that I did not expect. I thought once they came back to real time, Millhouse would somehow get you know fall over on his face or whatever. But no, he just perfectly drop kicks Bart into into the fucking cabinet. <laughs> he did. Yeah. Messing some shit up. They both grab their transformer weapons. Bart has an axe and Milhouse has a teapot. <laughs> they have a little fight there. I always enjoy the um the, the Simpsons fight theme, that the, the background music, the score. Uh, it was very dramatic. And they end up falling through a poster on the wall and they find comic book guy's secret stash. Very nostalgic, mm. this for me, the old VHS tape collection. I, I was always... A, well... My, I mentioned my friend Steve earlier, the, the man with the apple pie Kit Kat. Steve is also a bit of an aficionado of that kind of bootleg or underground video. One that I remember watching of his back in the day, uh, this is before YouTube and all that stuff, he'd somehow got hold of the commercial TV networks used to do this interview blooper reel. Oh, like Christmas party, the Christmas party ones, yeah? Yeah, yeah, and it, you know. This was before, you know, anyone swore on TV and anything like that. And it was always like, um, you know, live journo broadcasts or something. And they'd screw it up and they're like, you know, today outside the courthouse, oh, fuck, <laughs> you know, and all that kind of stuff. And you'd have all these news, news reporters who seemed very reputable, but they'd just, you know, you know, it'd be like Brian Naylor saying, and to all a good night, you fuckheads, or something along those <laughs> lines. It wasn't Brian Naylor doing that. He was far too yeah. reputable. Well, I've got, I've got, I've got Sandra Sully saying a few fuck bombs because I have the complete collection of um, Cheese TV, like the old archive tapes on VHS up in the in the roof here. I loved it. I mean, it really felt like you were sort of you know peering behind the curtain and seeing something forbidden. I thought it was great. Yeah, yeah. So I've got every channel. I've got every channel ten blooper reel tape from ninety five through to two thousand and four. Oh, and they were hilarious. I mean, yeah, hundred you know. percent. Yeah, seeing like Bert Newton drop the C bomb or something. Oh <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, I've actually got one. It's um, 
It's a footy one. It's on YouTube now. Someone uploaded a couple of years ago, but it's Ted Witten and um, San- Sandy Roberts, two old um, AFL uh, personalities. Yeah. They are do- they're doing like a like a pre-recorded video for like a, a roast for somebody, and at the end, Ted Witten just pulls out his pants and turns around and like moons the camera. And it's just ball sack hanging out everywhere. It's the most bizarre <laughs> thing ever. <laughs> oh, good on you, Teddy. <laughs> but um, but yeah, it's just uh, it's just crazy seeing people who you wouldn't normally see swear, and then you, you watch them be like, I'm not. It's, it's kind of like when you you hear a teacher swear for the first time, and it's like oh, I don't think oh, you're yeah. supposed to do that. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, but anyway, so Bart Milhouse having their fight, they, they come across the stash. Whoa! Comic book guy's secret stash. Look at all these bootleg videos. Alien autopsy. Illegal alien autopsy. Godfather 3, good version. He's got the tape of Kent Brockman picking his nose. Look, he's picking his nose. Something I found that I thought was quite funny was they they find Godfather 3, the good version. That actually exists. (laughs) That's actually being released, um, I think, before the end of the year because uh, Francis Ford Coppola, who made... Yeah, who made the Godfather movies? Mm. I don't think he was ever fully happy with the way Godfather Three turned out, and he's been given the opportunity to re-edit it, and it's being released uh, under the new title, "The Godfather Coda: The Death of Michael Corleone." Spoiler, but um, I think that which is what he originally wanted to call it. So there is, in fact, Godfather Three, the good version. Who knew? It's probably it's probably a good thing you didn't call it that in the title. No, probably not. I think it would be even even more of a downer, or even more of a sort of a box office poison kind of thing. But anyway, so just a, a little a little uh, hat tip to the geeks there. The Godfather Three, the good version, actually does exist. Uh, comic book guy is waiting for Agnes. He's sitting there with Skinner. Skinner's like a, a father waiting for someone to come date his daughter. Um, did you see comic book guys wearing the geek shirt? I think it says something like "My other shirt is clean" or something. It like is that. that that, and that was my fifth trivia question for okay, this week. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll be right down. I'm just putting on my witch hazel. Ow, 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 ow. So, uh, your mother tells me you go to Springfield Elementary. Exactly what is your interest in my mother? She makes me laugh. Here I come. (gasps) Good Lord, Mother, I can see your figure. Oh, you see a lot more when you do my daily mole check. What I do for my allowance money is nobody's business. He's not nobody. He might even be your new daddy. (laughs) (laughs) The way they animated Skinner's heartbreak on his face was incredible. (laughs) You can see the actual moment his heart breaks. 100%. The way way he says figure, I think, was just a winner this time around. Yeah. Definitely. Bart and Milhouse are then watching all the police tape confessions. Flanders is so this is the, the seed plant for the radioactive radioactive ape. You know, it's taken <laughs> over the whole the whole top, upper level of his house. But here, it's not Dad's fault. The ape tricked him. <laughs> 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 this next reference here, so Mr. Rogers. Um so I, when I watched this episode for the first time I had no idea who Mr. Rogers was. Um, now uh, he's, you know, a saint. Uh he is drunk on one of the tapes. It's actually not very cool. And I think like he's one of those people that you just don't joke about. It's Mr. Rogers, man. <laughs> True, but at least they weren't, you know, they didn't go too mean. I mean no, no. It was just, ah, I'm hot. Let me take <laughs> off this goddamn sweater. <laughs> now, Al Jean has said since that he um, 
he met Fred Rogers' wife at a, an awards ceremony after this episode aired, and he was very embarrassed to hear that she had seen the episode. He thought that, you know, he sort of regretted doing it, yeah. Milhouse then suggests that, you know, we've got all these tapes, maybe we should, we should do a, a midnight screening of all these um all these bootleg tapes, and Bart finally acknowledges that Milhouse has a good idea and, you know, mm. sees, you know calls him partner. A very nice touch. Then we get... For no apparent reason at all, no setup at all, Marge and Homer are just at the squid port looking for dinner. There was absolutely no setup for that, right? Yeah. There no, they were just there. Like, where's Lisa and Maggie? Like, what? There was no... It was just all of a sudden they're looking for dinner at the squid port and it's like Marge had never been there before. But I'm like, you've been here several times. What? What? Yeah, I must admit that did seem a bit uh, <laughs> a bit unusual to me. But it did uh, have, have that nice gag where, you know... <laughs> The meats of every nation is really just from one place. All, pur- all purpose meat. I did enjoy that. It was just a reason to get them, someone to acknowledge comic book guy and Agnes being out on a date. But yeah, um, yeah it just, fe- just felt really, sh- this kind of felt a little bit shoehorned in. But um, then we get the montage of them just being horrible people, you know, making a kid's boat sink and, you know, ragging on sunsets. They're just horrible <laughs> people, but you got to love them for it. <laughs> well, it's a case of two negatives making a positive. Yep, that's a good way of looking at it, correct. But then at the Forbidden Film Festival... Is it just me or is five... I know they've got the whole five bucks motif going on through this whole episode, but five bucks is undercharging for, you know, like a festival of underground video like this, even for kids. I think if you're 10 years old, if you can if you can guarantee you're going to have, you know, 50 kids coming for $5 each, that's a lot of money. It's all I about so. It's all about, you know, you deliver good quality content, right, at an affordable price... And the chances are you'll get more people paying the affordable price than if you had a, if make it ten bucks, you might get less people. So you want to try and make it a, a price that you know is affordable for everybody, and you'll get three times as many people, and in the end, you'll make more money. See, this is the four finger discount business model. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, yeah, so we're at the Forbidden Film Festival. Um, they're watching the secret nuclear defense plan. <laughs> this here, dear sir or madam, hopefully, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I could have done without Button Milhouse saying, yeah, that's right. I mean, that just felt a little chauvinistic for a 10-year-old to say. It did. I mean, yeah, it kind of felt like, uh, are we taking the piss out of people who say this kind of thing? Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's meant to be, like, if they just left it as the guy in the video, it, it's funny and it makes sense because that's that's just unfortunately how people thought back then yeah. as, 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 the, as a common feeling, uh, a common thought process of you know men being in, in power and men being in charge, not women. Mm-hmm. But for a 10-year-old in 2001 to be saying, yeah, right on, man, that's what we're talking about. It's like, nah, that maybe maybe in 2001 it didn't feel as wrong and in 2020, looking back, it comes across that way. But I don't know. I just feel like even in 2001, that line would have felt a little bit out of, the, out of place. Maybe. But so many things feel wrong in 2020, Dando. <laughs> they do. They do indeed. Especially uh, Geelong losing the grand final. <laughs> Let's not talk about it. Let's not talk about it. Yes, yeah, so they're talking about how Springfield's going to be like the testing site for all the bombs if there's ever another war. <laughs> the police arrive. I love the kids trying to bail, just jumping into the wall. <laughs> <laughs> I was curious about that because I figured, you know, Barton Millas initially discovered the the secret stash by going through um going through a poster, Shawshank Redemption style, but then. Yeah, with the, did the other kids know about that? And they were trying to jump through posters thinking there were holes there as well? I don't know. Well, well, well. This place has got more pirated tapes than... Uh, uh Chinese Kmart. Well, that'll have to do. Uh, these yours, son? No, sir. We're just exhibiting them for profit without permission. Fair enough. But the owner is in more hot water than... A Japanese tea bag? 
Why don't you lay off the Asians, Lou? It's funny because when he made the second joke about, I think it was Japanese uh, tea Japanese bags, tea I was bag, like, yes. I, 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 my immediate thought was exactly what Wiggum says. Lay off the Asians, Lou. <laughs> 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 but I did like Lou sort of like... These didn't immediately come to him. He actually sort of had to think for a little bit about witty rejoinders here. Uh, Chinese camera? <laughs> well, that'll have to do. <laughs> Comic book guy and Agnes are now in bed playing the old warped record and everything and setting the mood and the police barge in and are absolutely sickened. But as Lou says to uh, to Eddie, mate, if it doesn't affect you, you're not human. Human. <laughs> <laughs> It's a shame because, I mean, look, <laughs> by any metric, it is kind of gross and revolting, but it's also kind of tender and sweet. They arrest comic book guy. Agnes says that she can't wait around for him because her bones are already half dust. <laughs> but then at the store, Bart and are leaving. It's now a crime scene. They're pretty much there sort of just wrapping up the episode for the writers, just sort of explaining. Because uh, I was thinking halfway through this episode, I'm like, wait, so they're not at school at this cool, point? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it never it never really uh, crossed my mind until they actually said it at the end. It's like, oh, wait okay, a minute. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, so everything's going back to normal and then cut to the radioactive ape hitting Flanders as he's trying to drive him around. Look, if you want me to turn, just point. That... Ow! It's one way. Ow. Now, what was that for? Ow, ow. It's ridiculous, but it's just funny, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It's a nice little button on the whole episode, but not the final button, because if you sit through the credits Ooh. and you uh, wait for the Gracie, you will hear Agnes say, Why, you ill-mannered sack of crap! Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> so, yep, they, they've uh, decided to once again grace us with a Gracie. Good on them. But uh, overall, worst episode ever as far from it, as I said. I really, really enjoyed this, probably a lot more so than what you did, Mr. Davis. But going through and doing this review, you've got to admit, there was a lot of laughs in this. It was really funny from start to finish. I must admit, my opinion has shifted from eh, not bad to eh, pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think this is one of the better ones of season 12 so far, for sure. So what did you learn from the episode, Mr. Davis? If you are, in fact, going to, uh, you know, masquerade as Shaquille O'Neal to get into a, um, a comic book uh, exhibition featuring Tom Savini, maybe climb on the shoulders, you know, in an alleyway before you get there. Don't do it at the house. It's going to be bad for the children's backs. Um, I learnt that, well, it's not so much learnt, but I'm just like, I envisioned the way comic book guy walks into that, um, that class on how to make friends or whatever when he's like, human contact, the final frontier. That is pretty much how everyone in Melbourne is going to be once they leave lockdown soon. <laughs> We're going to have to learn it all over again. Yeah, yeah, actually seeing people. Thumbs up to everybody in Melbourne, by the way. Zero cases today, zero deaths. You did it, people. Oh, yeah. Enjoy those tasty donuts. From this day forward, your names will be... Okay, so the current leaderboard stands at this. In third position, we have Tide. We have Garode Harrahill and Alistair Danik both on six. In second position, Josh Hedge on seven. And atop the leaderboard is D.L. Gorman on 12. Now, Mr. Davis, you mentioned to me off the air that you don't have any notable mentions this week. Look, there were certainly some good ones in there, but I'm trying to, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be, I maintain some focus this time around. So I just wanted three, two, one. Honorable mentions and notable mentions will be back in the future. Don't get me wrong, but... I just didn't have the uh, the mental capacity, the uh, the intellectual bandwidth to uh, focus on anything more than gold, silver, and bronze this time around. Okay, sounds good. So what have we got for one point this week? One point goes to Philip, 
Hawkins. Philip Hawkins, I believe. Philip's already on the leaderboard, is he? No, he's not. Okay, so first time. Philip Hawkins, what has he got? He's got Dungeons and Dragon Ladies. Hmm, not bad. She she is somewhat... Uh, uh, this is the thing. I haven't heard someone call another like a woman a dragon for a long time. My, my dad, as a joke, used to often call, refer to my mum as the dragon. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's really a term that sort of uh, is bandied about as much as it used to be. But uh, yeah, I've heard the phrase dragon lady, but you know that, that comes with creeping around on the planet a few decades more than, uh, than a lot of other people. Um, two points. The silver medal goes to James Proctor. Is is James on the leaderboard? I thought James was. James gave us Guess Who's Coming to Romanticise Skinner. Guess Who's Coming to Romanticise Skinner. Not bad at all. I like that one a lot. But uh, three points. Standing uh, tall and proud with a gold medal. Uh, that's probably full of chocolate. Um, around his neck is Alistair Danik. Ooh, Danik with the three points. Wowee. Scoots right up the leaderboard, uh, snapping at the heels of D.L. Gorman with sex, comic book guy, and videotapes. <laughs> That's very, very good. By the way, James did have, he already had three points. He got the three points last week, I'm assuming. So he's currently on five points. So well done, James. But Alistair Danik, that puts him way up to nine points. Well done, Alistair. I'll explain why I liked Alistair's one because. Well, first of all, it's a play on a movie title. It's got a bit of sort of rhyming rhythm and all that kind of stuff. But it also captures the important ingredients of the episode in question. It does have sex, which, you know, we saw Comic Book Guy and uh, Agnes getting bizet. It's got Comic Book Guy. And it's got videotapes. So, um, look, it's pretty much, it's ticking many, many boxes there. Yeah, well done, Alice. So what what that does is it gives him the outright third position. Oh, sorry, outright second position. So... Now in third position, we have Josh Hedge on seven. In second position, Alistair on nine points and DL on 12. Alistair, he's climbing up. He's catching him. Could he get to the top? (laughs) We don't know. But if he keeps uh, delivering titles like that, he'll surely be on top sooner rather than later. I believe so. JaVale! JaVale is here! Okay, this week from our patrons in the mailbag, our friend Noah Daniel says... What was the first scandalous movie that you ever saw as a kid? For me personally, I think Species was a big one, Ooh. as well as Wild Things. With, uh, with uh, was it Denise Richards? Yeah, Denise Richards. That uh, that scene with the with the wine bottle and pouring the wine. Yeah, I made sure Mum didn't know I was watching that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, this episode, uh, as far as I'm concerned, this episode is turning into a bit of a um, dredging up. <laughs> weird and unpleasant childhood memories because like, I've, I've already told my story about the pornographic comic book uh, but let me tell you about uh, well a couple of scandalous quote-unquote movies that I've watched I don't really remember the movies as such but I do remember the incidents kind of surrounding them one night now this is going way back into time back to the 1970s I was sitting on my mum's bed uh, with my mum, the TV, they had a TV in their bedroom because we were very fancy, la-di-da. Um, and um, there was a movie on called The Owl and the Pussycat. Now, this is like a 70s romantic slash sex comedy kind of deal. I think Barbara Streisand played like a hooker or something. And I don't know, she was in a relationship with some dude. But anyway, there was a love scene slash sex scene in the movie. Now, this was showing on TV, so it was probably had anything even vaguely titillating just cut out of it. But still, here are, you know, two people sort of making out. And I'm, look, I don't know, I can't remember how old I was this day. I was just probably like maybe six or seven. 
Um, maybe a little bit older, like eight or something. But I was sort of looking at it like really bug-eyed, like, what's going on here? Yeah, it's like, what are these feelings? Yeah. <laughs> and my mum clearly looked at me and saw that I was just bewitched, entranced, bewildered at what's going on <laughs> and just burst out laughing <laughs> at this young kid just like, what are they doing? Everybody's hugging. <laughs> <laughs> so that clearly... Uh, Why is she so hungry? They just had dinner. <laughs> but that clearly sort of, you know, affected how I view relationships between men and women ongoing from there on. Um, but the other thing is, uh, and forgive me if this is just sort of going on to, you know, <laughs> guys' unofficial free psychoanalysis hour, but... Um, Mum and Dad used to go to the movies a bit and, you know, they were either trying to broaden my cultural horizons or too cheap to spring for a babysitter because I saw a lot of stuff that I probably shouldn't have at young ages. And one was um, an Australian movie called The Devil's Playground. Again, this is in the 1970s, uh, part of the Aussie New Wave, very sort of artsy movie. And in that 70s style, um, a lots lot of, of stuff naked ladies. Yeah, <laughs> lots of naked ladies. That, f- Weirdly, this is a movie about a boys' Catholic school, but for some reason, um, either a priest or a boy is having like a very vivid erotic dream that involved a lot of naked ladies swimming around and like completely <laughs> naked. This is probably the first time I, fo- I saw pubes. <laughs> and I'm like, what the hell is this? <laughs> and I think I had to be ushered out of the cinema because I started crying. <laughs> <laughs> I was so confused. Uh, <laughs> so yes, uh, if you're looking, these are the most scandalous movies I saw as a child. So your your parents took you to a film with just pubes? Wow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, look, I, I guess they figured I would either <laughs> learn a thing or two, or just be so bored or whatever that I might be sleep through it or whatever. But, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow, but no, I was there wide-eyed and... Uh, <laughs> Confused. <laughs> Confused and somewhat excited. <laughs> Alrighty, well, uh, there we go. Next question comes from... <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Let's move on. <laughs> well, <laughs> where else can you go from guy being ushered out in tears from seeing pubic hair? I don't know where we go from there. <laughs> To the next uh, question, you are correct. Andrew Pellicati says, "What's your favourite callback gag in The Simpsons? One where a throwaway line is unexpectedly paid off later." Well, I really enjoy it's the episode "Much of Pooh About Nothing." It's the one where a poo is applying for his immigration, and they make reference about how all the immigrants of Springfield are getting it deported. Blah blah blah. A poo passes the test, but it's like midway through the episode that you see that you know Moe's uh, uh, doing the test and Willie's doing the test. Blah blah blah. And at the end, they go, we're just thankful that none of our friends had to suffer as a result. And that it cuts to really being deported. (laughs) (laughs) I also really enjoy, um, this isn't so much a throwaway line, but the episode Whacking Day. And in this episode, Skinner locks up the bullies along with Bart. So the misfits of the school um, in like the the janitor's closet or just just a room of some kind. And Bart escapes. And then one thing leads to another bubble. Actually, is it Whacking Day? I can't quite remember. It's an episode. Anyway, so Bart I'm not sure, escapes. but I know the one you're talking about. Yeah, yeah so, Bart, so Bart escapes, right? I don't, no, sorry. It's the one where Bart gets expelled. He gets, he gets expelled from um, Springfield Elementary. So Bart gets expelled for, um, for fucking up with the detractor or whatever. And at the end of the episode, Skinner like, remembers, holy shit, wait a minute. 
I've left those kids in that room. And then it cuts to like the kids that, that you sort of, as a viewer, you completely forgot about it because it was like the first act and they just made yeah. no reference to them since. But I love that at the end where they're, they're riding these new bikes and Willie's like, or Skinner's like, it'll be okay, Willie. They'll give the kids these new bikes and they'll be fine. And Willie's like, what if they're dead so? Well, then we ride these bikes to Mexico and freedom, <laughs> Willie. Freedom. <laughs> I think the one that I liked was... Um I'm, I'm partial with anything with a wig a minute, but um, I did like the leprechaun sort of making that last minute appearance and it's like, burn it all, Ralph, burn yeah. it all. It's just a wiggy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> you're right, because Ralph just says, he tells me to burn things and that's it. <laughs> and then like two acts later, you actually see it. Yeah, that is great. You're right. <laughs> um, and final question here from Andrew Swan. Did you ever have a prized dodgy copy of a movie, TV show, or video game that you managed to acquire in the pre-streaming era. I've mentioned this before, but for me, I remember getting a VHS bootleg copy. This is even before VCDs and DVDs of Space Jam. Now, I remember because I went to my... I'd just gone and seen it at the, at the cinema, and, and I loved it. You know, I was being... What, what do I have been? 96 would have been like eight-ish. I loved the movie. It was my favorite movie at the time. And then I went to my next-door neighbor's house, and they had acquired this bootleg copy I remember the next one neighbor said, oh, I don't have to go to the movies to watch it because I've got it here. I was like, get out. No, no way. <laughs> it's at the movies. And then he puts in this tape and sure as shit, I mean, it wasn't the best quality copy, but sure as shit, Space Jam starts and my little mind was blown. blown. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I'll never forget the first time seeing my first bootleg movie, Space Jam. It was incredible. <laughs> oh, look, I remember back in the uh, mid-90s, um, there was a uh, a bootleg VHS of Pulp Fiction doing the rounds. Ooh. That would have made it even seem even cooler. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, shoddy copy. I mean, you look at it and go, oh, this is kind of out of focus. <laughs> and, yeah, but still, it's like, ooh. <laughs> I'm, I'm watching know, this I mean, at home. You know, that's Pulp how cool Fiction had kind of illicit, uh, an illicit allure as it was. Yes. And then to be sort of, you know, watching a, a dodgy copy in your own home is like, mm, yeah. But I mean, I... <laughs> Look, I'm probably, uh, I don't know if the statute of limitations is up on this, but I used to bootleg VHSs all the time. Well, uh, I, in- I used to um, I used to hire them from the shop and then copy from tape to tape. And you used to have to put sticky tape over the little... Um, yeah. You used, to have to, you used to cut out that little square at the front of the tape. So you used to have to yeah. put sticky tape over that so the copy protection didn't work and you can copy them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and there, even with that, though, there were certain uh, VHS distributors or labels that you couldn't copy they had the anti-copy process nah see and we had a vhs that had this thing called macrovision and it, it turned it off or whatever and you could copy any tape oh, oh we had like man. we had like a bootleggers vhs <laughs> vhs player <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i mean I, I i think i'd bought like um i had my proper vhs and then i'd bought like a second hand one and had them stacked up and yeah would yeah go to the video shop and like ooh. Look, I, I like to think I had a conscience about it. I wasn't, you know, bootlegging willy-nilly. It's like, hmm, I like this title enough that I'm going to be watching it again and again. I should probably, you know, have my own. Just, you know, it makes good financial sense. I mean, I, I wasn't, uh, you know, walking around the schoolyard with my overcoat and sort of opening it up and going, oh, I've got to <laughs> get your free copy of such and such here. Because um, that would have definitely got me thrown in prison. Um, but no, I used to... I built up a collection of, I don't know, maybe like um, 
30 something VHSs, mostly most of which were double features because you get like a three hour tape and you're usually able to fit two movies on there. Or you, or you put it on long play and you can fit four movies on there. Well, that's true. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you sound you sound very aware of all the tricks of the trade there, Dan. Oh, no, I, I am a grade A bootlegger. There is no doubt about it. <laughs> <laughs> I, used to sell bootleg, I used to sell bootleg DVDs on eBay before eBay was big. <laughs> Holy moly. Yeah. Wow, we're I learning to, a lot about it. I used to buy, when I was 14, I used to buy DVDs in bulk with my paper run money from China and then flip them on eBay for like three, four times the price. What a hustler. <laughs> wow. That's very and, impressive. And then eBay cracked down and yeah. <laughs> Lousy EB, but anyway, um, yeah. So they are my things. I also I've mentioned this well before. My dad, the day he came home with my my PS One all chipped up with a plastic bag full of bootleg games, that was incredible. <laughs> There's something to be said for bootlegging. It's um that kind of uh yeah that that cheap dirty thrill. <laughs> this is the thing. Like you, you used to have to earn it. Now you just go download and you got a movie in you know fucking thirty seconds. But oh, yeah. if you if you went back in the day. Bootlegging wasn't as big of a deal. Like it wasn't like not everyone did it because not everyone had the fucking patience and time to set up two VHS players, play the whole movie, copy it over. Like you had to be dedicated to do it. (laughs) Oh yeah, very true, very true. Alrighty, well that wraps up our review of the worst episode ever. Hope you all enjoyed. Don't forget rate and review us in the iTunes store. Uh, Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Four Finger Pod and at Four Finger Discount. Like us on Facebook if you haven't already. And if you want this show a week early, as well as Talking Seinfeld, Take It Like a Mandalorian, uh, Tales of Futurama, and all our other podcasts a little few weeks earlier as well, just going to be a four-figure discount patron, patreon.com slash four-figure discount. And for being a $1 plus patron, just $1 is the lowest price. You can get access into the four-figure discount Facebook group. And from there, you can also join into the Guy Davis New Name Championship. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Mr. Davis, next week we are going to be reviewing an episode called Tennis the Menace, which uh, a lot of people have told me, or I wouldn't say told me, they've warned me that it's not the worst episode ever, but it just feels like a very pointless episode. I remember watching it when it came out and sort of thinking the same way, so I'm looking forward to going back and revisiting it and seeing whether it has improved over time or whether it's still just a, eh, episode. Eh, sometimes pointless can be fun. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just hope that they have an ending. That's all I hope for at The Simpsons these days. Give me an ending. <laughs> Keep your expectations low. That's right. All right, guys, like we said, thank you once again for listening. We'll catch you all next week. Mr. Davis, any final words for the listeners? Mr. Davis, I'm Shaquille O'Neal. Shh.